Hey, it's great to, to be here. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you for that wonderful birthday greeting. Seems like I can't avoid being sung to once a year. Thank you for that. And uh, I want you to know that, look at, we got a pulpit. Now, most of you know that uh, when Pastor Scott preaches, you know, he just goes with his Bible, but I'm a hands-free kind of preacher. I can't speak without using my hands, so I need a pulpit. And somebody says, John, that music stand you use is so lame. You know, it's like leaning over, and, you know, it's always, it's like, so someone went and bought, like me, a little pulpit thing. That's all of ours, but I'm going to use it, and it's pretty cool, but then Scott said, dude, check this out. I don't know where they got this, but it looks like there's a wine rack behind this thing. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I'll put my Diet Coke in there. But, um, you know, because some of you have been sending birthday cards, I always like to read just the one. And it was so appropriate because of the wine rack comment that someone made. And if you can see this, it, it's a policeman pulling over. It looks like an Episcopal priest. And it says this, Reverend, have you been drinking? Just water, officer. Then he looks at him and says, then why do I smell wine? And the priest says, good Lord, he's done it again. Well, that's my story, and we're sticking with it. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, I get to finish Romans chapter 8. Um, uh, Pastor Scott, actually, originally, I was going to be preaching Romans 9 next week, and I said, that is really a senior pastor pack, uh, message that you need to give. Any of you who've studied the book of Romans know that Romans 9, 10, and 11 is this whole uh, Israel kind of intersection, and it is tough stuff. And I said, how about I just close Romans chapter 8? This is our fourth week in Romans chapter 8, and it's just a privilege to get to open God's Word uh, with us today. And because um, it's so important, we're going to read it in just a moment. So, um, but I want to ask you the question, what is our obsession with superheroes? I've thought about this. I mean, we've got like... Ant-Man, The Avengers, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Captain America, Batman, Superman, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the list goes on and on and on. And I was thinking about that, and actually, I think it's because they're in invincible, yea, thus verily, they're untouchable. And I thought, how interesting, isn't that concept something, what if we believed we were untouchable in the spiritual realm. Let's look today, because I believe that God's love, as we look at this passage together, leaves us in a place where we are spiritually untouchable. It says we're more than conquerors. It says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, I want to give you a little background. In Romans 8, it's probably the most, some have said, Romans is the most important book of the Bible, that Romans 8 is the most important chapter in the Bible, and the end of Romans 8 may be the most dynamic, important scripture in the entire New Testament. It's really the pinnacle or the summit if you're climbing a hill. In musical terms, it is the crescendo of the symphony. In novels, it is the epic conclusion. And so it can't just be read in parts we need to read it in its context. We need to read it together. 
And it's very interesting. Look at Romans 8.1. It starts with, therefore, there's no condemnation. So it starts with no condemnation. And you'll see at the end of verse 8 that there is no separation. No condemnation on the front end. No separation on the back end. And with that, in honor of God's word, and the, I really believe that in the public reading of Scripture, I want you to stand. I want you to take the Pew Bible in front of you if you don't have an ESV, and I want you to turn to page 944. And we're going to read this passage as if we meant it, and we believe it, and we want to live it, all right? So do it with your best rhetorical voice, with your rhetoric, with your emphasis. And we're going to read Romans 8, 31 to 39 together, all right? Here we go. Let's say it together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Have a seat. Now, if that didn't wake you up, I don't know what will. That is, my friends, the greatest news on the planet. And so as we review this and we look at this text, remember Romans 6 is the principle of sanctification. Romans 7 is the practice of sanctification. And Romans 8 is the power of sanctification. And that's where we're headed today. There is nothing, nothing that can separate our security in Christ. We can rest assured that Jesus will not abandon us. You are secure in him. And that can be alarming because whether there are fears or facts or forces or foes or frustrations or failures or frailties or fallen states, whatever they may be, they are no match for God's relenting love. Now, normally you sit there very quietly, passively, some of you taking notes, wanting to fill in the blanks, but I am looking for some response today. It is rainy outside, but we're on fire in here this morning. Amen? Amen. Oh, I feel so much better. All right, so here's the deal. In the text, you can say, yeah, 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 I get this. God loves me. We're more than conquerors, and I get all that. And you say that intellectually, but you don't believe it. And so Paul anticipates that and says, in fact, here are the questions you're asking in your mind. You read it, but do you believe it? Five big questions, and each time he's going to give you the answer, all right? So let's at the, look at them and ask yourself, is there anything, if you are truly a Christ follower, is there anything that you can do or anything outside of you externally that will separate you from your salvation and your security in Christ? Christ takes 
care of everything. And Paul is going to systematically go through every real and hypo, uh, hypothetical situation. Now, for some of you, you're what I call the yeah butters. Yeah, but what about? And then you have your question. Let me see if these five questions that Paul's going to answer, anticipating your yeah buts, will be answered today. Fair enough? All right, first one. Who can be against us? Verse 31. That's a look at his protection. Write it down. Who can be against us? It's his protection we're talking about. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. God is for you. He is in charge. He is sovereign. Now, write, each time I give you an answer, I want you to then write a phrase that I'm going to tell you to write. This is the one to write. There is no challenge to him. There is no challenge to him. A better translation would be, since God is for us, or because God is for us. And the implication is that God is for us. Yes, he is. Who's greater than God? No one. Is he superior? Yes, he is. Is there a close second? No. No person, no theological system, no circumstance can rob you of your salvation. You can't lose it if you truly had it. Now, others may trouble you, you may confuse you, sometimes you wonder, you've blown it, can you lose it? I want to tell you that we're going to talk about today about the idea of eternal security, and we're also going to talk about the idea of substitutionary atonement. Those are kind of big words, I'll explain them later, but you can rest assured today that God is on your side. So here's another way of looking at it. There are no bullies in God's economy. Every Goliath in your life, God says, no big deal. You're David, because God's got this. There are no bullies. Um, I like to watch the, the, um, the TV show Blue Bloods, all right? And it's a Friday night cop show, uh, and the Reagan family kind of rule the city because, you know, he's the commissioner of the police, and his sons are the policemen and whatnot. And in the essence, if you've got the Reagans on your side... You don't have to worry about this. They're honest cops. They do the right thing. Imagine you've got the ultimate police commissioner on your side, right? On your side. It's God. He's for you. He's going to take care of this. And in that case, you've got the best defense attorney on the face of the planet. You've got Jesus Christ. It's awesome. And I think sometimes, though, we've got this skewed view of God because you feel unworthy and you say, no, I kind of feel like it's more like the mafia, right? Because you kind of feel like, you know... I don't really deserve this, but, you know, if I do a little payola on the side, you know, they'll watch after me and they'll take care of me, right? The good news is you don't have to perform for this. You don't have to do anything for this. This is the wonderful news of God's grace. Now, if you stumbled in here today and you're going, wow, he had way too much caffeine last night. <laughs> well, that may be, but I'm telling you right now, this is the greatest news on the face of the planet because you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He just... Un, uh, our unmerited favor, he just gives it to you. He graces you with what he's done in your life. Look at Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold, the defense of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? We'll come back to 1 John 4.4 4 in, in a minute. We'll look at that. But the bottom line is, let's talk about what this doesn't mean if God is for us. Let me give you a few things to think about. Number one, it doesn't mean that we gain acceptance through our own performance. It's because of his atonement, his substitutionary atonement. In other words, Jesus died in place of you for your sin. 
Sin's not a popular word, but we've all done it, have it, and born with it. He died for you. Number two, being God being for you doesn't mean that God it takes our side in disliking those people we dislike, right? Now, I know some of you wise scholars have said, well, wait, 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 David did those imprecatory prayers in the Psalms like, slay the evildoers. All right, if you're David and you've got someone chasing down your life, you know, for your faith, then you can slay the evildoers. But for the most part, God calls us to what with our enemies? Love our enemies, right? Not slay them. Thirdly, this view doesn't mean that God's your congressman, your benevolent congressman, that he's showing benevolence to his constituents. That's not, the, that's not what he's talking about. Because if that's the view of who God is, then he's kind of a permissive grandfather who either doesn't know about your sin or is clueless about your sin. He clearly knows about your sin. He gets it. You don't have to hide it from him. He knew it. He sees it. He just forgives it. And then it doesn't mean we'll be free of enemies or trials or persecutions. We are going to have that. In fact, 1 John 4, 4, let's look at it. We know that we're going to have persecution. It says, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. So, first thing, God's for us. There's no challenge. Now, I would say that if I had to sum up the gospel, it's very simply those four words. God is for us. Isn't that essence of grace? God is for us. It's the most concise definition of grace in the Bible. Because Romans 5.8 says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. And so here's what he's for. He's for our conformity to Christ. He's for our good. He's for our salvation. Secondly, you say, yeah, but what about this question? Won't he give us all things? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Christ died for you. That's about his provision, about his provision. The first was about our his protection, now his provision. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? Here's the phrase you write down. There is no restriction. He died for us. It proves it. This is Christ's substitutionary atonement. That's part of the eternal plan. Look at Acts 2.22. Look at verse 23 up on the screen there. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And he's telling them, you crucified, you killed him at the hands of lawless men. It was part of God's plan. Does this in Romans 8 sound familiar? If you've been in a, with us the last several weeks, remember when we're back in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10. For if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall, shall we be saved by his life? The answer is yes. So he's asking the rhetorical question, why would he sacrifice his only son only to take back what he willingly gave for us? God doesn't use erasable ink in the Lamb's book of life. If you've truly given Christ your life, He's not going to erase your name and say, no, no, you messed up today. I'm sorry. Got to do better next time. You're His. You're secure. It's a loving act of His grace. Now, some say this is actually a veiled reference of what's gone on in the Old Testament between Abraham and Isaac and his willingness to sacrifice his son you can check that out. I won't go there. Genesis 22, verses 9 through 14. But Abraham is a type of Christ representing 
uh, what God would ultimately do with his son, Jesus Christ. And the great news, he doesn't hold anything back, including his own son. The cost of the sacrifice of Christ's life is proof of his great love for us. Now, almost every time we take communion, I say something like this. So I want you to write this down. His grace is free, but it is not cheap. All right? Let's make sure we get that. It's free. It's freely offered to us. But it didn't, it's not cheap. It, it, there was a cost. And the cost was Christ died for you. Because some of you are arguing, yeah, but you've got to have works. What about James? You know, by your fruit you will know them. I get it. But that's, that, that's the balance of the Bible in terms of God's love and then what God, as a result of what he's done through us, the fruit he puts in our life. I'm not focusing on the fruit today, all right? There's other days for the fruit. I want to talk about the root, and the root is that Christ loves you. He died for you. He redeemed you. He sacrificed his son for you. Now, if you're not feeling kind of special today, you're just not listening, all right? Because this is good news, friends. It's the bottom line is that if God can handle your salvation, can he handle the grocery list of things that are going through your mind right now that you're worried about? Let me read your mind. Yeah, but I got a house payment and I'm unemployed and I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. I know he handled your sin at the cross. Can he handle that? How about this one? Can he handle the fact that there are things that just are not going right in your life that you didn't plan for, that seem chaotic, that seem confusing, that seems to cause you to wonder whether he really does love you? Can he handle that? I think he can. You see, he's the kind of God that you can trust his promises. He's the kind of God who doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. Are you sick of that in our culture? How many things they make these promises and they don't deliver? I am telling you, the New Year's diet revolution, it is not working. The battle of the bulge is always with us. It's not just something in US history. Those diet pills, I don't take them. I don't think they're working. Um, what about uh, whatever we're worried about? How many of you have insurance? We have insurance, because, and it's good. So if someone hits you who doesn't have insurance, your company can pay it, and they raise your rates. That's why we have insurance, <laughs> right? You have homeowner's insurance, so that if you have a flood in your house, the insurance will pay it. But sometimes they overpromise and underliver. Some of you know that I had a house. I have a house that I'm renting, and I own it less than a month, and a sprinkler stayed on for 30 hours, and it flooded my house, and had carpet had to be ripped up, and all this kind of stuff happened. Well, I was preparing this sermon because I was going to use the example of Tokyo Marine that overpromises and underdelivers. No offense, Tokyo Marine. I'm going to make it right right now. Um, but the bottom line, they weren't going to pay for it. It was $11,000 worth of damage. I kind of was wondering, like, who's in charge here? If God's in charge of my salvation, he knows that that's just a blip on the radar. Don't worry. About it. And in my initial shock, you know, I was praying for a broken pipe somewhere because apparently they covered those things if there's a broken pipe. Some of you said, I can go break a pipe for you, Pastor John. <laughs> That's back to the mafia concept. We're not going there, right? Um, but the bottom line is, 
I was tempted to lose a little sleep. I wanted to blame somebody. I wanted to panic. But you know what? My wife and I had to just give it to the Lord. Hey, Lord, this is your house. Now, here's the crazy thing. I had already written all this in, ready to kind of use that example of over-promising, under-delivering. And then two days ago, Tokyo Marine calls and says, uh, Mr. Irwin, we've decided to cover your claim. I'm like, no, where's the candid camera? Like, they're going to like, and they're going to say, nah, just mess with me. My bad. No, it's legit. The check's in the mail. It's unbelievable. But here's what's more unbelievable. You know what? I've learned in life as a Christ follower, it doesn't matter where they would have covered it because he's got this. It's his house anyway. I'm just a steward of what he's given me. And here's what I'm going to tell you. My endeavor as one of your pastors to lead in such a way that no matter what happens in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm going to praise him in spite of. I'm going to not praise him just because of. It's easy to praise him in the because of situations. You're blessed, you got a job, you got this, you got great kids. How about the I praise him in spite of the fact, and you can list your grocery list of things. Now, right now, in your mind, you've got something that I can tell you that you're worried about. You're saying, does God really have this? So put that in your mind right now. Just write it down somewhere, and we're going to come back to that very thing by the end of the sermon, because this is the kind of God who delivers on his promises. What's the third question you might ask? It says, who can charge us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So we see his pardon. Thirdly, we see his pardon. So the answer is no one. Christ justified us. Here's what I want you to write down. There is no accusation. There is no accusation. Christ justified you. Now, who wants to accuse you? If Christ wants to justify you, who wants to accuse you all day long? Satan does, right. He wants to try and accuse you, but God's already won the court case, friends. He's won the court case. The case against you can't be retried. You say, seriously? Seriously. But you don't know how badly I've blown it. You don't know how much I've sinned. Even when you sin, he paid the debt, past, present, and future. Even when you doubt, he paid the debt. Even when life is tough, he paid the debt. Justification means that no one can successfully accuse you before God. His grace is sufficient. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I am a weak man. Let me just put it out there. And the reason God still chooses to use me is beyond me. It's only because of His grace. You say, oh, that's kind of one of those pastor things you're supposed to say to look subtly humble so that people say, oh, no, you're not that bad. No, no, let me, let me just clarify, I am that bad. <laughs> and so are you, so don't laugh. I mean, we're all bad. We are all messed up. And the, on the, on the uh, food chain of sin, we're all completely dysfunctional, right? And the only reason you sometimes feel a little better about yourself is you you're in a small group and you hear somebody else and they share a prayer question and go, dang, they are really messed up. I am so glad that I'm not as bad as they are. Let me just move over here. Hey, I'm telling you, we all are messed up and I, I want to just remind you that it's only because God loves you and saved you and he redeemed you that we even have a platform here. I'm messed up. 
Just, I got my whole family here. They, they just ask them. They'll say, oh, yeah, Dad, let me tell you a few stories. You don't have to amen that, my dear. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So Christ justified us. There's no accusation. Fourthly, here's the fourth question. Well, who condemns us? Well, let's look at his petition here. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So we see his petition. Fourth question, the answer is no one condemns you. Christ prays for you. Here's the word you write down. There's no condemnation. Previously, there was no accusation. Now there's no condemnation. Now look right there in that one verse. You want a little synopsis of the gospel? Real quick way to look at the gospel? Look at those four parts of the gospel right there. What, what are four facts about the gospel? First, he did what? He died. Write down John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Then he did what? He rose again. Look at Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Then, as a result of that, where is he now? Where does he sit? He sits at the right hand of God, right? Philippians 2.8.9, Psalm 110, verse 1. Philippians 2, 8, 9. Look at that. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And what else happens there? Look at Psalm 110, verse 1, that he says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. All right? And then he intercedes for us. He petitions God on our behalf. Hebrews 7, 25. And you can see the scripture up there. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's talking about us. And then, also, in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a petitioner with the Father. He intercedes. So, I think sometimes we get this view that God is this unbending judge, and thank goodness we got Jesus Christ, the great defense attorney, who defends us in front of God the Father. That's a little conflicted here. Let's change it around. I think God is like the warden who willingly releases us from the prison of our sin, and he gave us, the warden gives us his son who serves out the sentence for us. Not the judge who's fighting against you, but the warden who gave his son to serve out the sentence. Fifth question, who shall separate us then? Verses 35 and, uh, and 36. We see his power. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And listen, all these things. The answer is nothing can separate us. Christ loves us. There's no separation. It's proven. No person, no thing, no external circumstances. And there's a lot of terrible situations, a lot of terrible situations that can shake our faith. So one commentator said it this way, in this context, the love of Christ represents your salvation. And Paul is asking rhetorically if any circumstance is powerful enough to cause a true believer to turn against Christ in a way that would cause Christ to turn his back on the believer. And the question is, no. No. And, and, but some of you say, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And, and, and look at that list of things that can go wrong in the Christian life. All these external circumstances. And it progressively gets worse in severity, doesn't it? Right? They move from problems to persecution to prolonged deprivation and then death. So you get tribulation, and, and we could 
you know, wordsmith all these. Tribulation, that out, outward pressure, we know we get that, James 1. Distress, the Greek word is the idea of being hemmed in in a way that you can't escape. When you're in those kind of situations, man, it seems like an impossible situation. Some of you feel hemmed in today. You look at your alternatives in life right now and it's bleak. Persecution, that's the campaign to exterminate you because of what you believe in. Some of you are in occupations and in situations where you feel persecuted because you're a Christ follower. Well, we shouldn't be surprised by that persecution, right? John 16, says that the world is going to be troublesome. Famine, nakedness, danger or sword. Look at all those things, all of them. Prolonged deprivation of food, clothing, and safety. That's, a, that's, a, that's harsh. And then death, ultimate. So he's not saying that those things aren't going to happen. He's just saying that Ultimately, you're more than conquerors and that nothing, nothing can separate from the love of Christ, even all those things. But here's where I think we have wrong theology. Now, think with me here. Think with me. Follow this train of thought. I think that some of us think that when bad things happen, that proves that God doesn't love us, that God is what? Mad at us. Or he's abandoned us. Or he no longer loves us. In fact, we subtly ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm a good person. I'm a Christ follower. Why do bad things happen to me? We almost think it's a birthright that nothing should ever go wrong in our lives. The flip side of the same coin is, and in fact, the more I think about it, why do all these good things happen to really creepy, bad, evil people? But has anybody ever thought, like, why do good things happen to those creeps? A little love for me, right? Come on, you know you thought it, right? David thought it. You don't think he thought it? Read Psalm 73 sometime, and he's asking that same question. What's happening to the evildoers? Why do good things happen to them? And I think since we were yay high to a grasshopper, when we're little wee ones, We've, we've been programmed to think along these terms. Kids are mean to me on the playground. Coach plays favorites. Teacher's not fair in grading me. My girlfriend dumped me. I didn't deserve to get fired. People are gossiping about me. My dad died too young. My parents got divorced. My new house flooded. Just threw that in for fun. <laughs> My spouse is dying of cancer. I live in chronic pain. I'm alone in this world. My kids stuck me in this home and they never come to see me. Do you see how if you believe those lies, then you don't believe that God's for you? that nothing can separate you from his love. Your external circumstances have nothing to do with his love. And so it says, uh, verse 36, that is, is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You say, I didn't really sign up in the, like, the Christian life conversion decision process. Like, really? 
I mean, sheep, slaughter, blood, ooh, ah, I don't like that part. I don't like it either. But you know what? The Christian life has lots of ups and downs. The Christian life isn't this, you know, cruise ship to the Caribbean. Even if you go on the cruise ship to the Caribbean, there are waves and there are storms. Paul's only given his own autobiographical experience. If you check it out, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28, he talks about how many times he was beaten and how many times he was adrift and danger from robbers and all kinds of things. And you see this litany, that's his bio. I mean, that's quite a list up there. Some of that's happened to you. You see, as my mom, who died a few years ago, said to me, John, it's easy to trust God when things are going well. The test of your faith will be when things don't go your way. You know, I've told you the funny story. Of, it wasn't so funny at the time, not making Little League All-Stars. It might crushed my world as a 12-year-old. Little did I know, that would only be the first of many crushing defeats in my life, right? And we laugh at those little things, but all through life, things don't go as planned. You didn't plan to have debilitating back surgery, and you can barely bend over and tie your shoes. You didn't plan on the fact that your spouse cheated on you and left you for somebody else. You didn't plan on the fact that your boss lied to you and, in fact, embezzled money from the company that caused you to lose your job. And the list goes on and on because something's on your list. I guarantee it today. And God says, don't worry about the list. I got this. I still love you. I don't care how badly you've messed it up. There's forgiveness. And so the victory takes place in the suffering so think about this. God loves you in spite of, not because of. He loves you in spite of. That's the essence of Romans 5.8. He loves you in spite of. And so that perseverance reminds us and proves to us that he has still got it. You are secure in his hand. And so ultimately it's the illustration of a trapeze. I don't know if you like going to circus and watching. That is crazy stuff. The guy's up there swinging up, but there's no safety net, and he lets go. And the only thing that separates him and death is that guy catching him. If you read about that, uh, John Orberg talks about in one of his books, the key is that you've got to, when you release, not to try to grab for the catcher. You just got to put your arms out. Right? And the catcher's got to catch you. That's the God we have. You've got to let go, friends. You've got to let go of your past. You've got to get, let go of what you think you've got to do to earn favor with God. He's got to catch you. When I was a high school pastor, I love what these guys get to do. You know, they do crazy things like put you on like an eight-foot table, six feet off the ground. They say, just fall back. We'll catch you. And it's called a, a faith fall, a trust fall, Right? You know, it's a really sick and twisted group that says, oh, my bad, he fell. You know, that is not the way God does it. He's going, oh, my bad, I was planning on catching you. He catches you. He's there for you. He'll be there for you. And so you trust him, even when life doesn't go as planned, even when loved ones die prematurely, even when the loss of your livelihood happens. He catches you. Then the last two verses, 
we're more than conquerors. And the bottom line is this. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it comes full circle, friends. Jesus is ultimately the best superhero you can have. And because we are clothed in his righteousness, he's got us covered. He's the one that we want on our team. He's the one who leads us. We are the victors because he's already the victor. The word literally means hyper-conqueror. He's won the war already. It's sure. And it's a, it, the way the Greek is written here, it's a, it's a present conviction based on a past experience. The past experience is his death, the substitutionary atonement on the cross for your sin. And the present reality is that you can trust that, even if you've messed it up. Now, the problem is, if we are more than conquerors, then why all this suffering? I can tell you right now, I could do a whole other message, and it's not today, but I'm going to give you the food thought for a future message on six reasons why, even as believers, we still suffer. I'm going to put them up here. You're not going to be able to write them down. Although you want the notes, go to the website, download them, you can get them, all right? First one, it's the discipline of a loving father. That's one of the reasons we suffer. It's part of a loving father disciplining his own kids, Hebrews 12. It glorifies God, 1 Peter 3. It illustrates the divine truth. If you want the ultimate act of, of grace, look at what happens in the book of Hosea between Hosea, a prophet of God, his wife who's cheating on him constantly. By the way, her, her name was Gomer. That's a name for you. And the divine truth of God's forgiveness and grace in spite of repeated failures of Gomer and the repeated failures of Israel. And God just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Hosea keeps coming back. Fourth, we suffer as Christians because we learn obedience. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that. Number five, Paul says it's an antidote to pride. 2 Corinthians 12. He had a born in the flesh. And lastly, it develops our faith. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1. There's more extensive notes. You get that on the website. So what are the boundaries of his love then? We'll wrap this up. Look at verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any else things in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. He makes a list that covers all the bases, right? Physical, death or life, morality, good or evil, angels, devils, principalities, evil powers, time, present, things in the future, powers, spiritual realm, earthly realm, size, height of the earth, and space to the lowest depths of the earth. Nothing in all creation can separate you from God's love. And you say, oh, that is so nice, John. Such a sweet little sermonette. Do you really live in the real world? And some of you are thinking that. You're nice, but you're like, yeah, get a grip, dude. I've lived almost 60 years of my life, and I could tell you that there are a lot of good advice I could give you looking back on 60 years. And honestly, a life apart from Christ, Jesus is the most important thing to me. But I can tell you right now, what torpedoes many of you in this room is that you live life with regret. You read this stuff, you just don't believe it. You want to believe it, you just don't feel it. 
And so you live with regrets. Let me tell you right now, I am not perfect. If I shared my list, I asked you to make a list or write some things down that are worrying you or that you feel like, how could God forgive that? If I gave you my list right now, there are two predictable responses. One, of, one group of you would hear this list, if I gave you it all, you'd say, wow, <laughs> this is one messed up pastor. We should be talking to the elders. We maybe need to help him find a different vocation, right? Because in our own minds, like, wow, man, he's not supposed to wrestle with that. On the other hand, if I gave you a list, it might not, wouldn't be enough. You say, oh, really? You're really that good? Come on, give me some, something more. Can't be that good. See, it doesn't matter. Here's what I found out. Either way, I got to deal with my list. But more importantly, you got to deal with your list. And we all have a list. It's a list of regrets that when we read this passage, we're just praising or pleading with God, will it be true? Because will you really take this? Here's what I do know. You can take this to the bank. I believe that we've all said things that we wish we could take back. I have. Why is it the most hurtful things you've ever said in your life are said to the people you love the most? Anybody who's been married more than two seconds know that you shouldn't say certain things and you just want to grab them as soon as they left your mouth. And I can tell all of us have somebody on that list. How about this one? We've all done things we wish we could go back and have a do-over. A failure, a sin, an addiction, a relationship. Thirdly, we've all thought things that we are completely ashamed of. In our heart of hearts, we go, how could God use me? I'm such a wretched sinner. By the way, if you think that, you are in fantastic company. Paul thought that too, right? Oh, wretched sinner that I am. Number four, we've all had relationships that ended badly, and we just wish we could fix, and we can't. It's out of our hands and out of our control. And here's the last fact. Take this to the bank. We are all sinners, and we need a Savior. And so the conclusion is this, friends. God has forgiven and pardoned you, and nothing you've done can separate you from his love. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking, you know, if you're truly saved, I, I believe God will give you fruit. I'm, I'm, I remember we're not talking about fruit today. I'm talking on this side of this equation right now. But he loves you. And he's forgiven you. But as Chad comes right now, I want you to think about this one fact. God's forgiven you. But can you forgive yourself? I think half the battle today is, for some of us, we understand intellectually that God's forgiven us, but we can't let go. We can't seem to forgive ourselves.
And the great news today is that you're more than conquerors. God does love you. Nothing in your past can separate you from the love of Christ. That you are secure in the palm of his hand. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. In just a moment of silence here, I ask you to write something down that might cause you to doubt God's love, that might make you believe that maybe that you are not more than conquerors, because we all got stuff on our list, don't we? I don't know what's on your list, I know what's on mine. And today I want you to let go of it. I want you to let go of that thing and trust the fact that God's forgiven it and taken it and pardoned it. If you've got something on a list you've got to let go of, would you look up at me? Just you and me. Just look at me. Okay. 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 Anybody else? Okay. 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 All over the auditorium in the back. Okay. Anything else? Anybody else? Okay. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you. That we're more than conquerors. That in fact, he loves you so much that nothing can take you from his grasp. And so, Lord, today, would you take those folks that have looked up and that you would ultimately, ultimately, Lord, be the one that is their assurance, their strong place, that we're forgiven and pardoned, and that, Lord, that if you are for us, no one can stand against us, that we indeed are more than conquerors because we're clothed in your righteousness, that we're given the free gift of eternal life, experiencing grace, it's like experiencing grace Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Isn't that the greatest news? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Those are great words today. Your list is destroyed. It's in ashes at the foot of the cross. He is king. He is supreme. And I'd love to be able to pray with you today. And if you have some prayer requests, I'll be up here. Some of our elders will come up. We'd like to pray with you and over you. But I'd like to pray over all of us a prayer of blessing today. Would you bow your heads as we close? And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, the only wise God, the most powerful Savior, the invincible God, the almighty forgiver of sins, the healer of our iniquities, the conqueror that makes life full. To him be the glory and power and majesty and dominion now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you.